There is the supernatural greatness in which God wants to use us. But I also believe if we're not careful, we will waste it. If we're not careful, we will waste the way that God wants to use us. And all throughout history, there have been a shortage of godly men and of godly women. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, God is speaking, and he says this. He says, And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But then there are some sad words. But he says, But I found none. I looked for such a man, but how many did he find? Zero, not a one. Perhaps if God were speaking the same way today, he would say, I'm looking for a man of integrity. I'm looking for a man who will do what is right regardless. I'm looking for a man of character. I'm looking for a man of courage. I'm looking for a man who will stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves. I'm looking for a man who would lay down his life for his wife just like Christ did for the church. I'm looking for a man who will impart spiritual wisdom for the next generation. I'm looking for a man who would stand in the gap, who would not turn to the side, who would not run, but a man who would stand in the, in the gap and do what is right. How many men, how many women would God find like that here tonight? How many of us could answer that and say, that is, that is us. We are people who are standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Years ago, there was a man by the name of, sorry, excuse me. Years ago, there was a man by the name of Henry Varley. Henry Varley was speaking to another man, a man by the name of Dwight L. Moody, who would go on to be one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever seen. And he made a comment, and he made this. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do through one man whose heart is totally surrendered unto him. Did you catch that? The world has yet to see what God can do through one man whose heart is totally surrendered unto him. And Moody declared, and he said, I will be that man. If God is looking for a man of integrity, for a man of courage, for a man of honor, for a man of faithfulness, I will be such a man. As we turn in our text and we come to the life of Samson, I'm reminded that there are many who know a little bit about Samson, but I want you to know a lot about Samson. We learn about Samson at a young age in our, our Sunday school classes. We talk about a man who's got long hair and incredible strength. But there is so much more to the story of Samson that we need to dive into. Samson is covered in Judges chapter 13 through Judges chapter 16. Tonight, we're going to look at Judges chapter 13. Samson's accomplishments are legendary but at the same time, so are his weaknesses. Samson had been given so much potential, and yet again and again he made bad decisions and he self-destructed. God had given him, like many of us, so much potential for righteousness, so much potential for kingdom movement, and yet again and again Samson made poor decisions. 
If I was to summarize the life of Samson, I would say this. Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. An incredibly strong man with an incredibly, a dangerously weak will. Samson was unpredictable, he was undependable, and he was double-minded. And James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's been said that the greatest ability is dependability, and you could depend upon Samson being undependable. Samson was a man who fought the Lord's battles by day, but he disobeyed the Lord's commandments by night. And the thing about Samson is, for many of us, we can look at his life, and we can look at his story, and we see a reflection of our own life. We see a reflection of our own heart. We see the struggle in Samson that many of us, if we're honest, we feel the same struggle as we try to live a life that honors Christ. The background is that the Israelites lived during the time of the Judges when we get to Judges chapter 13. The Bible tells us that under Joshua, the people served the Lord. But the Bible says that Joshua died at the age of 110, and after that, they did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. In Judges chapter 2, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And they abandoned the Lord, and they served the false gods, the Bible tells us. It says that they did what was evil in the sight of God. Other places in Judges, the Bible tells us that they did what was right in their own eyes. Can I just tell you what I've found? I have found that when we're living in disobedience to God, we always make it right in our eyes, don't we? We always make an excuse for it and we say, well, it's really not that big of a deal. When I look at it and I use my eyes and I look at the situation, it's not a big deal. Everybody else is doing it. It's not a big deal. There's an excuse that I can give for it. It's okay in my eyes. It may be wrong for you, but it's okay to me. But here we see time and time in the book of Judges. It says the people did what was evil in the sight of God. The Lord noticed it. When we live in idolatry and we live in rebellion to God, we will get his attention. He will notice it. And the Bible says that God is angry about it. God is upset with it. God's not just in heaven saying, hey, it's all right. You do what you want to do. Everything's going to be okay. When we live a life of unrighteousness, God is not pleased. God is not satisfied. God is not content with that. And so we see the Israelites and they are to be a set-apart nation. They are to be a nation that points to God, but they look just like everybody else looks. They worship the same false gods. They're doing all the same things that everybody else is doing. They're supposed to be different. They're supposed to be called out. They're supposed to be distinct, but they're not. And can I just remind you tonight that I'm supposed to be different. 
I'm supposed to be distinct. I'm supposed to be called out. You know what the word church means? The word church in the Greek language is ekklesia. Okay? Ek means out of. Kaleo means called. The church are those who are called out. Those who are different. Those who are not like everybody else. And it ought to be that when we go to our job or we go to school or we go to town or we go to the restaurant, that people look at us and they see Jesus through our life. They see Jesus through the way that we talk. They see Jesus through the way that we bite our tongue. They see Jesus through the way that we respond with integrity. They see Jesus with the way that we live. And the reason that much of Christianity is so weak is because we have blended in with everybody else. And you can't tell a Christian from anybody else, and it shouldn't be that way. There should be a difference in us. People ought to know there's something different about the folks who go down to Woodland Hills Baptist Church. The Bible says that God is, is angry, and when God is angry, the Bible says the Israelites are in a terrible distress. They're in a bad spot, and it's in this context that God raises up the judges. Look at Judges 2, verse 16. I know I had you in chapter 13. Go ahead, go back a little bit. Judges 2, verse 16. It says, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. A little bit later, it says, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. And he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. And so God raises up the judges, and there's this pattern of the Israelites that when there's a judge, they run over and they begin to worship God. But when the judge dies, they go over and they begin to worship the false gods. There's a pattern of rebellion to God and obedience to God. Rebellion to God and obedience to God. And it keeps going over and over and over. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 6, and following, it says the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Aren't you thankful for a loving God? Time and time again, they turn their back on God, and yet God still loves them. Somebody ought to rejoice in that. That's the story of my life right there. Isn't that the story of your life? You're trying to live, you're trying to honor God, but you find that you keep giving in to sin, and God still loves you, and he still loves me. Despite all the wrong that I've done, he still loves me, and he still fights on my behalf. It's an incredible thing. Now go back to chapter 13. You're going to get good flipping those pages. Go back to chapter 13. And the first thing I want you to notice is the disobedient apathy. The disobedient apathy. Chapter 13, verse 1. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Again, they did what was evil in the sight of God, and so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for how long? For 
that's a long time, isn't it? For 40 years. And you know what's interesting? During that 40 years, we do not see, there's no evidence given to where Israel cried out to God for deliverance. We don't see a time where they repent and they go to God and they say, God, we are sorry. They don't repent and say, God, would you deliver us? They don't repent and say, God, we are in a mess right now. We realize what we have done wrong. In fact, it seems like they are content in their bondage. It seems as though they are happy as could be in this bondage. We'll get to it on another night. But in Judges 15, it indicates that the Jews were content with their lot and they did not want Samson to rock the boat. Isn't that crazy? They're in bondage to the Philistines, but when Samson comes to fight, they urge him to settle down because things are not truly that bad. They would rather stay the same than see change. Anybody here scared of change? Anybody here, you just be honest and say, I I don't really like change. It scares me a little bit. It's frightening how quickly we can become accustomed to bondage and learn to accept the status quo. You know what apathy is? Apathy is a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, and a lack of concern. Apathy means that we accept it as it is and we just move on with it. And there are a whole lot of us and we would be described as apathetic. There's folks who are apathetic in their marriages. They look at their marriage and they know it's weak. They know it's not what it should be, but they've just accepted it and they move on with it. They don't fight for it. They don't work at it. They don't do anything. They just accept it the way it is and they go on with it. And you're missing out when you do that. There's folks who are apathetic when it comes to their jobs or when it comes to their families. There's folks who are apathetic when it comes to their faith. And you know you're not growing. You know there's no maturity happening in your life. You know that God's not using you. But you're okay with it. There are times in my life that I'm okay with it. And that does not honor God. There's times that we can become apathetic in our churches. Just get bored with it. Whatever's happening, it's okay. Can I just tell you, even in a great church, and I, I so love this church, I love this church so much. Me and Brittany, we pray and we thank God that we're a part of this church. But even in a church like this, there's room for improvement. There's room for more. There's room for better. And if we're apathetic, it means that we just get satisfied with it and we just go with it and we quit pushing. We become unresponsive. We become dull. We become indifferent. We become lethargic. And here the Israelites are, and they don't want to be saved. They want to stay in their bondage. And so because of that, we see that God stirs up the Philistine opposition in order to stimulate Israel. If we are lethargic, if we are apathetic, it could be that God sends trouble our way in order to stir us up. Did you get that? There can be opposition according to the Bible, and there can be opposition that comes from God so that his people will get on track. And so if we're just apathetic in our life, God may send something our way to get our attention. So there needs to be an attitude check. Am I excited about the things of God? 
Ask yourself that right now. Am I excited about the things of God? Am I excited about the way that God is using me for his kingdom? Is God using me? Is God working through me? Is God working through my life? What difference am I making for the kingdom of God? And if you ask yourself those questions and there's not much going on in your mind, there needs to be a change. As believers, we are called to make a difference. Amen? We have a spiritual gift. We're to use that spiritual gift for the building up of the body of believers, all for the kingdom of God. And so if we begin to think about it and we say there's really not going, much going on in my life for the kingdom of God, then there needs to be a change or else you have become lethargic in your life. You become dull with it. You ever realize that when, when difficulty comes, you seek God like never before? Back in October, we were going along, and uh, Brittany was pregnant, and all was, all was looking well. And then one morning, we were at, the boys had a program at the school, and uh, I was at the program. It was Western Days, and all little kids had on their cowboy boots and their hats. Everybody was running around happy, and all of a sudden, I got a phone call. Isn't it crazy how one phone call can change so much? I got a phone call, and I didn't recognize the number, and so I answered it. And a lady on the other line, the voice was, uh, hello, Mr. Kirkendall, this is, this is Dr. Martin. When the doctor calls, you know it's not good news usually. You know, you want to talk to a nurse, you don't want to talk to the doctor. So all of a sudden, you know, you ever been there and then your heart just kind of starts pumping real fast? And so she says that and, and I said, well, yes, ma'am, this is, this is case. Well, you know, we had, we had the sonogram uh, a few days ago, and I just want to tell you that on your baby girl's heart, we saw a little bright spot. She, she gave the name for it, okay? I didn't know it, y'all, but I forgot it since, but uh, she gave me the name for it, and I'm thinking, what in the world is that? And she tries to explain it to me, and she said, now, now Case, most of the time, it's nothing, most of the time it's nothing, but there are occasions that it, it can be, and it can be something serious. And so uh, we're asking that you would come in and, and bring your wife and, and that we could do some further testing to try to look into all this. Can, can I tell you that up until that point, I had prayed for my little girl every day. But when I got that call, I can't tell you how many hours I prayed you ever had the time when you just wake up in the middle of the night and all you know to do is just pray? You wake up, there's nothing else you can do. You just wake up and you, you begin to pray and then you go back to sleep and then you wake up later and all you can do is just pray some more. And, and you find that it's not that you're praying in the morning or you're praying in the evening. It's that you're praying all day long. I mean, every time that you have the moment, every time you get the thought in your mind, you are communicating with God because prayer is so important in that moment. There are these times that there's opposition, and through opposition, we become stronger. That's why James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials, because you know that it develops your faith, makes you complete and perfect, not lacking in anything. Now, that's, I hadn't got to that point yet, to count it joy when trials come. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not there yet. But I do understand that it pushes us to a deeper relationship with Christ. Are you sensitive to the things of God in your life? Are you sensitive to the morals of God, what is right and what is wrong? 
You say, well, Case, it's, it's just a, a television show. No, it's not. There is no such thing as just a television show. There is always a message behind it. And that ought to become clear. I don't follow all this all that well, but with the, the latest with Roseanne and the show on ABC being canceled, she put something that she should not have put out. It was totally racist. It was wrong. She shouldn't have done it. But they go in and they cancel her show. The same week, a lady on a late night show with TBS makes a vulgar comment that I could not even allude to here in the pulpit. And you know what happens to her? She issues an apology. TBS issues an apology. And they go on like nothing ever happened. There is an agenda behind the media. And so when the Lord sets the standard and he says, be holy as your heavenly father is holy, we need to heed to that and understand that he knows best. Uh, We say that to our kids. Well, you can't watch this. It doesn't honor God. We need the same advice, don't we? It doesn't honor God. We need to leave it alone. All right, look at verse 5. We took too long on that ballot. We're about to run out of time. Next thing I want you to see is there's wasted potential. Verse 5, it says, he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. There are so many opportunities, but so much of it is wasted. Verse 3 says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and you shall bear a son. We don't have time to get into that, but that's exciting Here's a family that can have no children. God intervenes, and they're going to have a child, and they're going to name him Samson. Verse 4, And therefore, be careful, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite of God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. You're going to have a son, and he is to be a Nazarite. Nazarite means that he is to be separate. He is to be set apart from people. He's to be set apart for God. And what this means is that he cannot drink alcohol. Even more so, he cannot even go through the vineyard. He can't have anything to do with grapes. He cannot touch a dead body. And he's got to let his hair grow out. Do not bring a razor to his head. You see the laws concerning this in Numbers chapter 6. This was a way that an ordinary person, someone who was not a priest, could make a vow to be set apart for the kingdom of God. They could say, I'm living by these vows. I'm devoting myself to God and to God holy. Now, some of you are not very spiritual And you're thinking this. Right now, you're thinking, I can see it. I wonder what style his hair was. That's what you're thinking, isn't it? You look to Steve back there and you say, I wonder if it's like Steve. You know, I don't know, but being spiritually honest, I can tell you one thing. It was not a mullet. Okay? That's all I can tell you. It was not a mullet. It was not the business in the front and party in the back. I just know that. That's not biblical. It couldn't have been. Now, I don't know what style it was, but I know that he had long hair. You say, well, what's up with the long hair? Well, just like baptism is an outward expression of what's happened in our life, and just like this wedding ring is a symbol of the love that I have for my wife, the long hair was a symbol of the devotion to God. 
It was a symbol to say that I have been set apart for the work of God. I am fully devoted and I am fully dedicated to God. Now, I'm not telling you you've got to grow your hair out. But I am telling you that there ought to be a way that people look at you and they see that you are set apart for God. They ought to be able to see by the way that you live your life. People are always watching. They're always watching. I don't have time, but I could, I could share testimonies with you about how a, a man was saved because he watched a co-worker. He watched his life for years. Never said anything, but he watched his life. And when this man went through a difficulty, he called the co-worker and said, I've seen something different in your life. I need you to tell me about it. And they came in my office, and the man surrendered his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he saw someone living the life. People are watching. They're watching the way that we respond, the way that we speak, and the way that we act. And so we should be set apart. And the woman bore a son. This is down to verse 24. And the woman bore, ooh, we got to go. And the woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the young man grew. And the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. I love it when it says the, the Spirit began to stir in him. The Spirit was so strong on his life that when the Spirit of God came upon him, Samson could righteously kill a thousand Philistine men. When the Spirit of God was on him, he could rip up a lion. And yet with all this God-given potential, his weakness got in the way time after time after time. We're going to see where Samson betrays God for a handful of honey. We're going to see where Samson lets his temper get the best of him and he kills 30 innocent men. We're going to see where Samson gives in to the, the lust time after time and it brings his destruction. There's so much potential for greatness, but again and again and again he squanders it. Again and again and again it's wasted. And I don't know what it would be for you, but we see it all the time. We see men who they go to their, their jobs and they are type A leaders. They are driven. They are committed. They are solid. But they come home and they're passive. And they're hands off. And they don't lead their wife. And they don't lead their children. They're committed in one place, but they're uncommitted in another. I, I, I know men that will go and they will study for hours on the best rod and reel to buy. You ever do that? Study for hours on the best television to purchase. Study for hours all about your hobby. But you won't give five minutes to the Word of God to lead your family. It's a shame. It is wasted potential. Samson was brought down by lust, pride, and power. And if you think about it, and you think about folks who have been brought down, it's usually because of lust, pride, or power. There have been many destroyed. You say, well, what, what destroys a man? Usually it's sex and money, isn't it? Sex and money, that's what destroys. There's so much potential for greatness, but Satan is setting the traps out and saying, give in to it, give in to it, give in to it. And every one of us in here 
We are making our legacy every day. We are choosing our legacy. I'm going to close with this. Brother Greg sent this to me years ago, and I, I saved it in my inbox, and I liked it to close with. It says, imagine that you had won the following prize in a contest. Each morning, your bank would deposit $86,400 in your private account for your use. However, the prize has rules. Number one, everything you didn't spend during each day would be taken away from you. You may not simply transfer money into another account. You may only spend it. Each morning when you wake up, the bank opens, and your account has another $86,400 for the day. At any time, the bank can come in and say, game over, and it's all done. What would you do? Well, you'd buy anything and everything that you would possibly want. You would go out and you would help others. There's no way you could spend that much money in a day, every day. Eventually, you would get tired of it. You would try to spend every penny and use it all because you know that it would be replenished the next morning. Do you realize that every day that you wake up, you're deposited with 86,400 seconds? And when you go to sleep at night, any remaining time is not credited to us. It's lost. What we haven't used up for the day is lost forever. And yesterday is forever gone. At any moment, the game can be over. And you're out of seconds. Every one of us in here, we've got, we've got one life to live. And we've got only so much time in the day. I want my life to be a life of character. I don't want to go through my life and go strong and strong and strong and for one of these seconds make a foolish decision that ruins my legacy. I want you to go in your life and live a life of character, live a life of boldness, live a life of courage, but allow Satan to come in at the last minute and set a trap for you and it destroy your legacy. We've got only so much time in the day. We've got only so much time to do the work of God in our lives. And so we need to make the most of it. What is, what is Samson? He's a man of great power, but he's a man of even greater weakness. If we're honest, every one of us in here, there's weakness in our life. And we need to recognize it, and we need to make plans to avoid the traps of the enemy. Let, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this. There is the supernatural greatness in which God wants to use us. But I also believe if we're not careful, we will waste it. If we're not careful, we will waste the way that God wants to use us. And all throughout history, there have been a shortage of godly men and of godly women. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, God is speaking, and he says this. 